welcome to The V-Hive, a platform focused on women's intimate health. With weekly episodes from the field's top practitioners, we discuss all of the things you've always thought about but never wanted to talk about. On this podcast, we are making the highest quality information on the most beloved part of your body accessible, understandable, and implementable. I'm your host, Hannah Matluck, and I started this platform as a result of my own experience with chronic pelvic pain. Throughout the years I spent healing my body, I became overwhelmingly interested and passionate about these topics and have made it my mission to create awareness and education on the complexities of the female body. So today I am here with Sophia Wallace. She is an American conceptual artist and photographer. She's best known for her project, Cliteracy, which addresses citizenship and body sovereignty through the medium of text-based objects, unauthorized street installation, performance, and sculptural forms. So thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to speak with you. I'm so excited. I was doing some more research about all of your work last night, and it's the coolest art I've honestly ever seen. Like, it's unbelievable so (laughs) before we honestly get started like I I mean I'm so excited to have you just talk more about everything and for everyone listening to become familiar with your work but I would say that even before we start I would urge everyone listening to go watch your TED talk um, which I watched last night to just get a better as we were just saying before we started recording visual understanding of like all of your work and then maybe even come back here and listen to this because having the the prior context I think could be really helpful and interesting but if not we're going to go through everything today anyway so it doesn't really matter but thank you for being here and your work is amazing thank you so much so before we get into all the questions I have for you how did you get started in this space? And I guess just start by explaining what the Cliteracy Project is. Yeah. Oh, so much to talk about. So um, much. I'll try to make it as um, clear as possible. And then we can always like go deeper if you want to. Um, cool. So prior to working on Cliteracy, which I started in 2012, I was a photographer I thought I was just going to be taking pictures my whole life. I was completely in love with that medium and perfectly happy just doing that. Um, And I was mostly thinking about um, how power is represented visually and how power tries to kind of naturalize itself through creating these stories about who, like what's acceptable in our society, who's beautiful, who's wonderful, who's, um, you know, smart and interesting versus like, who's a loser and only gets to be covered photographically if there's like an earthquake or natural disaster. And then it's basically ignored in the photographic record outside of like major catastrophes of human rights, um, you know, epic scale proportion. So those are the kinds of things I was thinking about, especially through the lens of like gender, sexuality and race. And then at a certain point, I think it just was inevitable that I would think about how sex is represented visually. And, um, so this happened, and, and it wasn't a single moment. It was many moments, and it was many moments my whole life. Um, but I think as a as a queer person, um, as a lesbian, I <laughs> just thought it was laughable, sad, absurd that 
visual representation almost completely ignores the clitoris from representations of sex. And then we see all of these images and films and paintings and sculptures that suggest that um, women and people with vulvas are just having epic orgasms simply from penetration and no one acknowledging their clitoris, um, their external clitoris. And I was like, this is just like ridiculous and, and problematic and like really sad. I mean, because as a queer person, you know, the sex that, um, sex that we have is really different because it's focused on pleasure and, um, trying to give everyone the pleasure that they want, as opposed to this idea of intercourse, this idea of reproduction. Um, so I just felt so sad for all of the people, um, particularly, you know, let's be honest, like straight women. I felt horrible for all the straight women in my life who, and that they're not in my life, but like all of them now and all of generations who basically have been giving so much pleasure and receiving so little in return. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that is because sexuality has been defined by what pleases the penis and, yeah. and heterosexual penis usually, but the penis and anything that wasn't that wasn't considered true sex, you know, and Freud just completely like fucking sealed the deal on that with his whole theory about, um, you know, the, the true mature woman, the healthy woman, like orgasms from her vagina and the clitoris is this pathological infantile organ. So anyways, um, I was thinking about all these things. And then I also happened to learn, um, that my grandmother at the end of her life shared, um, with one of her children that she felt that she had never had an orgasm and she was pretty bummed about it. And, um, I just was so struck by this because, you know, she had given birth to five children, four of them survived. Um, she was such a outgoing, healthy, vibrant, warm, athletic woman. And I just was like, there's no way in hell that her body wasn't capable of reaching orgasm. Mm-hmm. I bet what happened is that everyone she had sex with and, you know, mostly my grandfather didn't attend to her pleasure, you mm-hmm. know, and it made me so sad and angry. And I just felt compelled to kind of um, personally take it upon myself to call bullshit on this and to tell the truth about the clitoris and specifically to address as an artist which is, you know, what my, um, my way is, I guess, in this world to express it through artworks. And mm-hmm. I think that this is a really important piece of the puzzle when we're talking about, um, how to create, uh, sexual, uh, equality, parity, um, freedom, liberation, um, basic humanity. Mm-hmm. If we don't have some type of roadmap of possibility that allows us to imagine new ways of being, we're really stuck in these old scripts and we're really kind of settling for a lot of ideas that keep us trapped in the way things are. So it's very necessary to have artists um, tackling these problems because, you know, artists are asking questions that no one else asks, are throwing out all the old rules and kind of like scientists are using a lot of like sort of critical thinking and experience and investigation that does, that refuses to just like accept the old dogma that just says like, well, I don't know. I want to see for myself. And so that's really how I started clitoracy. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's amazing and so interesting and crazy that you learned that about your grandma. I think that it's always kind of wild to like hear these stories from older family members and even you know in my case like I started this podcast because 
I had pelvic pain and I just realized how Mm. little it was addressed in society and how common it is amongst women. And similarly, my grandmother Mm -hmm. had pelvic pain her whole life. And like, you know, I think that when we have a grandmother, let's say, who's been through Mm -hmm. something similar or whose story resonates with us, it like really is kind of one of the main things that compels us to take initiative in, in, in an area of work. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to hear that. Can you, well, should we start? Because as I said a few minutes ago, your TED Talk is incredible and shows all of the artwork that you created through this project. But um, for everyone listening, Cliteracy, you know, you did so many different installations and pieces of art through this project like it wasn't just one thing do you want to kind of go through all of the things you created oh my gosh um <laughs> or a few of them like for example I, the yeah, street no, art I can, I yeah i can try to do that i'm gonna force myself to um pull up my computer so that i look at them while i'm talking about them because perfect it will be much better um descriptions Okay, so, yeah, so so with the art, I mean, as I said in the beginning, like, I, you know, at that time, when I started this project in 2012, I only had, uh, you know, professional art training in photography, um, so that was my only medium, um, and right away, I kind of hit this roadblock where there is a million images, a billion, trillion, I don't even know how many, but, you know, millions, basically, of images of um our genitals, and yet, like, our actual anatomy is still unknown. Um, If you go into, like, the average doctor's office, you're not going to see an anatomical clitoris represented in any kind of um, 2D or 3D um, anatomy in the office. Um, Many doctors don't even know about the internal clitoris, uh, which is really scary, including surgeons. And in terms of, like, mainstream culture, almost everyone that I talked to about my project is, is surprised and it's the first time that they're learning about it. And I don't feel like anyone should feel bad about that or ashamed because like I literally didn't learn about this till I was 34 years old. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what the actual fuck? Yeah. Um, but so basically I was like, how do I represent this part of the body that is, um, everyone thinks they know everything about and we're, it's so ubiquitous in this way and yet it's completely unseen and I'm really trying to talk about the unseen experience of this body. So I realized I couldn't use photographs and photographs wouldn't help and if anything they would give this false promise of like we know about it when we actually don't and mm-hmm. so that's why I started using text and text became really just this incredible vehicle um, to talk about ideas, to address the past the present, pop culture, medicine, architecture, music, you know, like so many different aspects, but also to invite mass audiences to connect with the work. Because a lot of times when you're talking about fine art, you know, many people, myself included, you know, can feel intimidated walking into a museum or going into certain galleries, like can feel like maybe you don't understand or maybe you don't get it, or maybe you're not allowed to be in this space. It's so, there's so much class and, um, and, uh, culture, uh, like highbrow culture that's sort of associated with even accessing art. So it was just such a pleasure to create work in a medium that you couldn't help, like if you can, you know, if you have sight and you're an English speaker, you couldn't help but like start to engage the work. And then once you're there, you immediately 
go into your own body and start to think about how do you feel about these things. And it was also really exciting because I was inviting people to identify with the subject position of the clit. You know, so often when we think about sexuality or power, we always jump into this like male perspective, um, with pen, you know, trains going through tunnels and, and exploding champagne bottles or, you know, grow a pair or man up or the balls on this, or, you know, it's all this language of like, you know, or, or a seminal thought or penetrating the markets. It's like, we're using this like very phallocentric language. Um, so it was really exciting to just really represent for the clit and be like, clits are dope. Clits are amazing. Clits are smart. We don't know anything about them. Here's some stuff we're learning. Um, that's so new. And yet, and it also has like an older history because, um, you know, like multiple anatomists, Italian, German anatomists, like George Cobalt, who did the most beautiful drawings of the clit. I just love his drawings so much. Um, these were known about hundreds of years ago, but they were just ignored. Um, mm-hmm. And so that is also an interesting aspect of um, understanding the history of how women's bodies have been treated by science, um, by culture, by religion, which is like um, vast bodies of knowledge have been repressed, whether it's by midwives or it's by doctors who are much more feminist in their approaches, not that they were using that language, but who respected um, the embodied experiences and the right to pleasure of women. Like um, these, these um, forces, exi- they always existed, but they weren't listened to and they were repressed. So anyway, it's really exciting to have this medium of text to be able to like weave together what became the hundred natural laws of cliteracy. I called them um, laws because, um, and natural laws specifically because natural law is law that's available to anyone that's alive. You can't take it away by, you know, a government or or a religion can't take away that. They can't invalidate that law because just by being alive, you have a right to this. And I was like, look, the clit needs protection. It needs a declaration of rights that it can't be excised like a cancer. It can't be misrepresented. It can't be lied about. It can't be negated. It can't be um, censored to the point that no one even knows the truth about it, which is, you know, which is the state that we're in. So I was like, I have to create this foundational text for the clitoris. And that is what this body of work was. And there was, you know, within these texts, there were texts such as democracy without clitoracy, fallacy, um, or um, lady justice, where is liberty and sex without orgasms, um, or things that were more like, you know, chants, like no justice, no peace, no orgasms, no liberty. Um, And then, you know, other things that were more sort of cheeky like the world isn't flat and women don't orgasms from their vaginas Um, or things like take your virginity which you know this addresses the idea that virginity is a construct virginity is extremely misogynistic but like if there is such thing as virginity we individually should all take our own so no one can take it from us Mm -hmm. no one can get that from us or have that it's our own body Right. We should penetrate ourselves first. We should touch ourselves first. We should know our own body. We should please our own body. And then if someone is um, worthy, we, you know, invite them. But mm-hmm. there's nothing that they can take from us because it's already ours. We already had it. Yeah. So, all, you know, all sorts of laws and, and uh, you know, also just the scale of the work. Um, I made it so that it was bigger than anyone's body. It was, you know, 10 feet tall by I don't know, 12 feet wide approximately um, so that, like, you know, when we think about, um, you know, female and, and uh, AFAB genitals, you think about things that are small and soft and floral and 
pink and purple and things you can hold in your hands are very like accessible. And I wanted to just blow that trope out of the water and have us think about this as like vast and complex and um, to treat it with some sort of like reverence and humility and respect and honor and a sense of like, we don't know everything about this yet. Let's learn, let's have curiosity, but let's have respect. Um, so I liked working with a scale that really got out of that sort of um, idea of what this content is about. And also just like not everyone responds to pink and purple and small scale and yarn. Mm -hmm. And I wanted those people who are interested in like minimalist, you know, uh, installations or text to like be able to connect with this work and not immediately walk away because they're like, well, I'm not interested in like, you know, queer feminist art. Um, right. But instead, they found themselves you know, reading We Go Hard for the Clit or Sleeping on the Clit that Cray and like, and then <laughs> connecting with it, you know? So yeah. that's, and, and basically, like, once I made this first document, like, or, or this, 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 you know, this foundational artwork, like, so many people responded compared to, you know, all my other work. Like, it immediately just started picking up followings and having little viral moments in various, you know, on Tumblr or, um, online and, uh, and, and people would like photograph it and talk about it and be like, what is this? Like, how do I find out more? Why, how can I buy something? How can I get a t-shirt? How can I get a print? Like they really mm -hmm. wanted it. Yeah. And, it, and, and it was so affirming, you know, it was so like, yes, like we as a society need to be able to like see this part of our body exist in text, in, in, in conversation and speech, like, yeah. Like so many people would be like, damn, so since I, since I've seen your project, I've said the word clit more in the last two weeks than I've said in my entire adult life. And I'm like, wow, you know, that's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think also because it's just, it's something that resonates with like literally every single human being, especially women. So to be able to see that this is, you know, that you're doing all of this work and making all of this art to bring attention to a part of our body that I would argue you know for most people feel proper attention hasn't been brought to in the past mm -hmm. is a very mm -hmm. validating mm. thing yeah yeah um you said in your TED talk that we landed on the moon 29 years before we studied the clitoris mm -hmm. that's crazy yeah so Dr. Helen <laughs> O'Connell Australian urologist she is the first person to do um, anatomical dissections of the clitoris that were, like, respected by whatever the medical journal establishment. And she, what the reason that she did these experiments was because she was looking at the anatomy books that are used pretty much universally um, um, by the field of, um, um, what's it called? urology mm -hmm. and you know any kind of pelvic abdominal surgeries and she was like wow like the anatomies for the penises like the major anatomies are so much more detailed than the, than the major anatomies of the clitoris and then the minor anatomies for the penis are incredibly expensive and for the clitoris there's nothing there's no minor anatomy and she's like how do we know that when we're doing these routine surgeries we're not regularly damaging the clitoris and she's like, we need to like, we need to confirm what this anatomy yeah. is. And so she did these dissections, and of course, was like, oh yeah, it's this whole organ. It's much, you know, larger and more vast than anyone realized. It's also connected to all of these areas around it. So it's not like it's just this, you know. Again, our bodies are always expect. We're always um, in relation 
and contingent. So it's like it's expected to be a penis, and if it's not a penis, no one knows what it is, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a comfort with the idea of of a hole and a and, and a tube that's you know that's the reverse the, the quote unquote reverse of the penis and the and the um you know the place where the the baby can come out and the penis can go in and create pleasure and all of this stuff. Um, but the idea that there's something unique and individual about um, woman's body was considered incredibly controversial and just frankly didn't dawn on a lot of people. Yeah. So yeah, it's its own organ. It's its own, it's its own structure. It's much more integrated into the um, um, tissues around it. So it's not just like the freestanding thing like the penis, but it's also so like, as you saw from the, the talk, like it's to me, like the similarities um, between these two organs is so interesting and cool and they're unique, but they're also related. And they also, you know, they only at the very last part of um, the development of a baby, do they distinguish between penis or clitoris or in the case of intersex people, you know, some other really interesting, um, hybrid and uh and which is also incredibly common and much more common than we that is ever really talked about and, and actually there's an amazing victory that just happened in boston uh and in i guess in in the u.s in general where um a major site of surgeries on intersex people uh in boston this hospital that was like one of the main places that babies were sent when they um had were born intersex uh, and they were performing all of these so-called like corrective surgeries it has been um accepted that this is a form of torture and that is inhumane and there's nothing wrong with these babies genitals and it's up to them at whatever point in their life if they want to do any type of um, medical intervention but um that these interventions have caused a lot of harm have you know created harm have dampened feelings have cut off nerves have made it impossible to orgasm all of these things um and just like let them be and so that's that's incredible and and i just say you know that's just even that in of itself um showing our similarity showing our connectedness to me that's really radical and powerful um because this sort of binary that we've all grown up with of just you know um, one has the object, one has the whole, one is from Mars, one is from Venus, one is emotional, one is cerebral, you know, it's just yeah. all completely, uh, constructed to kind of create, to normalize these like, um, differences of power and these differences of pleasure, these ideas of like who has the right to feel good in their body and who is expected to just suffer in silence because that's what's quote unquote normal for them when mm-hmm. that is a, that is a constructed norm you know and that links back to this idea of, of you know pelvic pain and pelvic health um and why things have been so so bad for so so long and like why most people that are having you know these issues like are not listened to you know are, are basically mm-hmm. not listened to most of the time like, you have to go through x amount of doctors before they finally find one who takes their experiences seriously because this idea of like the normalization of pain if you're born with a vulva it just starts so young and it continues on our entire lives whether it's about you know menstrual pain or it's about you know sex is painful you know especially in the beginning that's normal but later it could be painful mm-hmm. and that's just how it is and childbirth is painful and you know and mm-hmm. on and on and on like it doesn't end yeah yeah i hear i hear you but um I mean, this is all so fascinating. And something else that I want you to talk a little bit about 
which I've had some people talk about on the podcast before, but you spoke about it in a different way and it was really interesting to hear your take on this. Um, The difference between what boys and girls learn in school, you know, in sex ed or health class Mm -hmm. or however they're taught about sex at a young age, how, and obviously there's a lot now on how the media portrays this and you've just spoken a bit about it, but you said a few really interesting things in the TED Talk as well in regards to this. Can you talk about that? Mm-hmm. I would love to. Um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, from a very young age, uh, there's a socialization that really celebrates the penis and mm-hmm. male bodies in general and that teaches um, people born female that there's something wrong with their body. So it's known that, you know, parents, even they're, when they're giving their little baby a bath, um, as they're washing the boy, they'll use language like, I'm washing your arm, I'm washing your leg, now I'm washing your penis. Whereas with their daughters, they will say, I'm washing your arm, I'm washing your leg, and then go silent um, when they clean their vulva. Mm-hmm. And from such an early age, um, girls are taught that there's something to be ashamed of. There's something to be silent about. There's this down there, this between your legs, there's this lady parts, um, all of these kind of euphemistic apologetic languages uh, uh, that really teach teach us, you know, close your legs. How many times are girls told to close their legs yeah. like a lady? Um, you just feel that there's something, you know, you have to apologize about your body, you know, or embarrassed that you have this thing in your body uh, or shamed about it. And this kind of feeling of internal disgust and disassociation is just so damaging. And it's why I meet many women who are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s who, you know, they first, you know, when they respond to my work, their first thing is like, I hate the word clitoris, or I hate the word vulva, or I hate the word vagina. And, and it's like, it's really sad, you know, because we are taught to hate ourselves. That's the truth. And even, I mean, I actually, um, I'm looking for, um, I've been looking for pelvic floor PT recently because I had a really, I had an emergency C-section after my birth and I had like a 60 hour labor. So I had like a very long labor, almost gave birth vaginally and then had an emergency C-section. So I have a lot of scar tissue um, from the incision and a lot of like numbness where that cut was made. Mm-hmm. So I've been looking for someone to like help me do the scar massage because it's like super intense and also just inc- unbelievably emotional. And then there's yeah. also just like all this numbness and dead zone. Like I'm touching somebody else's body. Like if I move my hand from like one part, you know, from like my upper belly down, there's like a whole like three inches where I'm, it's just like I'm touching somebody else's body. It's just like a crazy sensation. Mm-hmm. So anyways, as I'm looking at all these pelvic floor therapists, I notice like multiple of them are using language like we deal with all of those down there places or mm-hmm. we'll deal with like the, um, I'm trying to remember this one uh, really, really well-known uh, respected pelvic floor PT and I think that their work seemingly is really great but I was just personally thrown off by the language that was like the introductory language to working with them where they're describing this part of my body as those parts down there 
I'm like, no, yeah. I'm not ashamed. I love having a vulva. I fucking love having a clitoris. Like, I'm sure penises are amazing, but clits are incredible. They are so epic. I mean, first of all, let's just talk about the anatomy for a second. Like, they have a direct blood supply that the penis does not have, and they have so many nerves, and there's some debate over if it's really, you know, 8,000 versus 3,000. I really don't care what the exact numbers are. Mm-hmm. What I can tell you is that they can have um, – orgasm after orgasm after orgasm they can have an orgasm and then be like cool i'm now i'm awake i want to have like five more you know penises they get so tired they need to have breaks you know they're really kind of like they're doing their thing and then they're done um clits can just like have more and more pleasure and more and more sensation and like the maximum number of, of orgasms that a clit has been recorded um you know a woman has had with uh uh you know in record was like 204 versus a man within an hour it was like i don't know 19 or something i mean so if you were going to compare like video game characters and you're going to be like put the clit against the penis like the clit would just be you know the penis would like stand up and do its thing and then it would just be like asleep getting pummeled for like you know 60 percent, 80 percent of the game whereas you know as a clit would just be like coming high coming low fast so all the way you know and and it, we really are like these crazy sexual powerhouses that should be People should be in awe of us because what we can, the, our ability to access pleasure is just incredible. Um, but, you know, that's been incredibly repressed and it's been so, so, so globally in many different ways, but like universally, globally has been attacked, you know, yeah. and it's, you have to think for, for a second, you're like, hmm, if female sexuality is so subdued, how come everywhere all over the world they're trying to control us and they're trying so hard? with laws, with slut-shaming, with products that tell us our bodies are disgusting, with with um, birth control that focuses on our bodies and tries to change what our bodies do, with laws that um, shame us and, and punish us for having sex and the idea of us having sex. Like, why is that? Why are they working so hard? It's probably yeah. not because our sexuality is so muted. It's actually because our sexuality is just so incredibly powerful and also Mm -hmm. liberating because like when you have access to your full capacity of of embodiment and 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 joy and connection and expression um you feel fearless Mm -hmm. you know you ask those hard questions Mm -hmm. you don't accept those easy answers that shut you down so i also think that i mean to all the points that you've made like hearing this is so helpful for so many people because as you said like we have not been taught to fully embrace our bodies and I that obviously I mean I was going to say I think but I know that that leads to a lot of repression and um you know thinking that because we haven't had an orgasm or because whatever it is you're not receiving the pleasure that you want that something's wrong with your body Mm -hmm. but it's actually nothing's wrong with your body it's just that we haven't actually been taught like how our bodies work that's right that's right and I would even take it a step further and say you know a lot of straight men are really bad in bed yeah and they are incompetent when it comes to if they're going to be sleeping with women if they're supposedly straight they should know the basic way that this anatomy works Mm -hmm. and they should know about the external clitoris and just 
just as they would never be expected to orgasm if their penis is ignored or occasionally like brushed against with with an abdomen or an arm they should never expect uh, someone with a clitoris to orgasm when their clit isn't being conti- their external clitoris isn't being continuously engaged the entire yeah. time yeah. Um, and the idea that like that's not on the menu or that's somehow asking too much or that's like foreplay that's not real sex i mean that's absolute bullshit that's a complete construct of patriarchy and we shouldn't settle for that mm-hmm. you know we we should demand at minimum like that like if we're going to be with a lover that they are going to make us feel good and please us and if they don't don't keep sleeping with them they get they shift in the friend category there's yeah. there's no we're not born into sexual debt where we owe other people pleasure in our bodies and we don't get any because like you know we somehow um don't deserve it i mean that is that's what we've all been taught and like you know to your point about like you know people blame themselves i can't even tell you how many people have t- come up to me privately or emailed me and said, oh my God, like I thought there was something wrong with me, mm-hmm. you know, and deeper into the conversation, I find out they've always been able to orgasm by touching their external clitoris, their glands, you know, mm-hmm. they just thought that because they didn't have the, the best, the biggest, the most amazing, the most exciting orgasms solely by penetration and completely ignoring their glands, that there was something wrong with them because that's all they see everywhere. Right. Yeah. Um, but no, it's like, it might be intimidating to some, you know, conservative straight guys. Um, but the fact is like there's 8,000 nerves of the glands of the clitoris. So like the internal parts are accessed by stimulating the external parts. And, you know, there's some people whose internal clitoris, they prefer that, like they prefer orgasming through internal solely, you know, they don't, they don't want the external cause it's too sensitive for them. They don't like the blended, but that is a tiny, 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 tiny minority. And most, most, most people, um, they're going to orgasm when their organ is addressed, just like the way a penis would. And, and we should just completely anyone who, I mean, first of all, foreplay, let's just like retire that word. That's such an insult. Mm-hmm. Whatever gets you off and makes you feel good, obviously in a consenting way, that's what is sex. It's yeah. not about, oh, it's only real sex when, like, the penis is involved. No, that's some bullshit. Like, yeah. we just need to retire that. So, I mean, I really try to, like, help, um, you know, everyone with vulvas, especially straight women, because straight women are having the least orgasms of anybody. And that is so sad and so preventable. And they're all thinking that there's something wrong with their body. But guess what? Lesbians are having constant crazy orgasms. So what, yeah. who's, who's, whose body is a problem? Nobody's body it's incompetence on the part of a lot of straight guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and that, and the good thing about that is that like, you just get a little information and if you have any, you know, good faith at all, then you can fix this problem really easily. You know what yeah. I mean? And like the nuance of how that particular person likes to have their body addressed, like, yeah, you have to figure that out. You know what I mean? But at least, you know, Hey, like, this is where the 8,000 nerves are. I'm not going to ignore it, you know? It's yeah. pretty straightforward. So yeah. I just get frustrated with, you know, the field of sex, sexology and sex therapy. Um, and there's certain, you know, there's certainly like um, queer and feminist perspectives are finally sort of moving this forward and disrupting it. But there's just so much kind of like telling, telling um, women like, 
to deprioritize orgasms and to just breathe and just like, you know, relax or just have a glass of wine. And um, it's like until there's orgasm parody, I don't want to hear about that. Like once everyone's having all the orgasms that they want and whenever they have a sexual encounter that they go into wishing, seeking that release, um, until they're having that, I don't want to take that off the table because if you do, then you're basically just saying that this status quo that we have created completely socially constructed by basically telling women that their bodies are something to be ashamed of by not studying them medically, by having complete like false, false knowledge of them, by teaching everyone um, lies about how they work, by representing things visually that continue that lie. Like until we address that, that structure – like there is no, there is no possibility of true um, equality in the bedroom, and if we don't have equality and pleasure, I mean, I think that that especially, I mean, do you want to talk about um, true freedom? Like, I think when you look at people that are being fucked over by society, their access to pleasure actually is a really important indicator because that is saying, do you have the ability to rest? Do you have the ability to sleep? Do you have the ability to have pleasure in your life, to um, enjoy your life? And if you don't, well, then that means that you are being economically harmed, socially, racially, you know, all these these different ways. Um, because the way that like freedom shows up is in these these things that give you the ability to have rest, to have. Um, to dream, to, you know, have pleasure and have joy. So, you know, I think people, you know, when it comes to like, um, you know, straight white men um, and the most powerful in society, like uh, pleasure is kind of taken as, as a natural right. But when you look at groups that are marginalized, um, pleasure is something that is pathologized and denied. And that, I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it relates back to this idea of um, pelvic health, you know, the the ways that we are taught to distrust our own bodies, to accept pain, um, to be silent about our experiences, and not to demand basic pleasure. Yeah. I also think that I mean, that that's all so important. And thank you for sharing all of this and just like explaining this so beautifully because hearing you, I mean, for me, hearing you explain all of this is so, it's eye-opening. And like, even if it's stuff that I already, I guess, know, it's just hearing you articulate it in the way that you do is really, really quite amazing. So there's two things that I was going to say. The first is that, you know, I think that for people who are in heterosexual relationships, it's also okay to like explain to your partner if, you know, if you're a woman dating a man Mm -hmm. to explain Mm -hmm. like all of this, to explain everything that we've just talked about, like to tell them to listen to this podcast or to watch you speak your TED talk, whatever it is. Because I think even as women who are straight, like if, we might know this, but I think that the other step is like, or the other problem is that we have a hard time then actually putting this into action and like explaining this to whoever we're with and acting on it. Like, yes. 
doing yes, something absolutely. about it. And yeah, so I think, yeah, uh -huh. yeah, I'm really glad you're bringing that up. And I think that's something that I sometimes, or maybe all the time forget to kind of get to, which is like, what's the positive mm -hmm. things that you can actively do to like, have better, better quality of life, including your sexual embodiment. And I, I think it is so important to, first of all, we've been taught, so this didn't come about from, because we're all just kind of like coincidentally, uniformly um, uh, doing this by choice. It's like, we have been taught not to talk about these things. So doing talking about it is actually really challenging and is, is its own little mini revolutionary act in and of itself. But I think, you know, to have good sex, have a uh, good intimacy with your partner or with a friend or you know with your hookups whatever it is talking is necessary it's so important it's so helpful it's so great and it's the kind of thing that you do ongoing you continue to tell this person like this like this no like that now like this now mm -hmm. I like this now I like that and you follow their lead and it's and it's you know it's not about a specific getting from point A to point B, it's like playing music together. I think, I mean, Dan Savage does a good job talking about this, but he's saying, you know, um, basically that it's total, you know, amateur hour to be having like drunken hookups where you don't say anything, mm -hmm. you don't talk at all, you can't really feel anything, you're just kind of like rushing through it. And I mean, especially if you're in a straight dynamic, good luck to you in terms of having an orgasm, you know, and these hookups, like, that's, like, and also it's, like, known that straight men in hookup culture a lot of times don't even try to get yeah. off um, yeah. their partner. And then, meanwhile, the woman is, like, definitely giving him a blowjob or doing whatever, <laughs> and he's getting off no matter what, you know, and um, she just feels like if I didn't have pain then and I got him off and that was like a quote-unquote good experience and mm -hmm. it's just like yo we really need to re-examine this and ask ourselves why we don't feel like we have a right to feel pleasure but the, the plus side is like if you can start having these conversations and in whatever way that works for you maybe it's like listening to your podcast with with your partner you know like listening to this podcast or listening to Dan Savage's podcast um or many other wonderful um sex educator resources that are online there's so many great ones um like betty dodson i love dodson and ross mm -hmm. um or you know a, a great sex positive book or you know watching my ted talk or whatever it is that um maybe you personally will enjoy or you think will be a good connection for you and your partner that's that's great um i just would say you know the, the key thing is like um more information and more communication is going to make it better and so, you know, just know that, like, whatever short-term discomfort you have of just starting the conversation, you're going to have, like, way better sex and, like, yeah. way more fun and way more pleasure. And the more good sex you have, the more sex you're going to want because, like, pleasure just, like, makes you want more pleasure. Mm -hmm. And, like, you get more pleasure. And the more you give, you get. And, like, or, you know, it hasn't been this way, sadly, for, like, straight dynamics again. But if if your partner suddenly learns how to please you, you're going to want to have more sex with him. So it's like, it's in his interest to learn how to make you feel good. Um, and to help you. I mean, and it's so cool. It's like, um, sex. And this is something I also learned from Dan Savage. It's like what you think you like at one point in your life turns out like things continue to evolve and expand just like your palate does. So maybe in the, you know, when you're in your twenties, you're like, I only like, I only come this way and I come this way and that's it. 
actually you can find over the course of your life and with different lovers like so many different ways that can feel good to your body and then if you bring in sex toys and you know my my favorite is like Hitachi Magic Wand I think it is just like the creme de la creme of of you know all vibrators it's like the Cadillac of vibrators and I have no um scientific evidence of this but my feeling and I've talked to many people about this I really feel that it gets the internal clitoris as well as the external clitoris and it is very like it's not a high and shrill numbing Mm -hmm. vibration Mm -hmm. it's like a deep thrumming um that can unleash (laughs) so many orgasms um and I know it's helped a lot of people that have had um um vaginismus or um obstetric violence that damaged um, their epidural nerve or um, other kinds of surgeries that have caused um, um, pain or, or numbness or damage um, through using the Hitachi and placing it kind of like on the root of the clitoris and kind of allowing it to a deeper, they can kind of reconnect um, neural pathways and feel a lot of sensation that they hadn't felt. Um, and so just like, you know, condoms are a technology that, you know, we use and Viagra is a technology that many people use. There's no reason not to use the technology of vibrators that are just, you know, like the best friend of the clit. I mean, they're just, they just are so fantastic. And um, just add them with. They're wonderful to use with partners. They're wonderful to use, you know, solo. They're wonderful to just have as this thing or like, you know, no matter what, you will be able to get off. And if you take the fear of, like, getting off off the table, you can really enjoy yourself a lot more. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, of course, everybody has their own body, and so I, will, I would never claim that, like, one thing will work for everybody. Um, but I think that adding Hitachi to every bedroom, um, if you have, you know, a clit in that bedroom in any way, I think it's a wonderful thing to do. So I'm really glad that you just brought this up because, and it's funny because, this is something I actually wanted to ask you when I was just preparing last night. And then I was like, maybe, maybe it won't come up. Maybe like, we'll just have other things to talk about, but little, little did I know it would obviously come up. Um, so, you know, I've had so many different people kind of like express their views on using toys in the bedroom mm-hmm. and, I want I just want to now spend another minute talking about this like I personally mm-hmm. think it's a great thing like I think no matter who you are who you're sleeping with if you're heterosexual homosexual like whatever it is it's great and if it makes you have experience more pleasure and it's more enjoyable for you like sure use a sex toy every single time you have sex who cares that's my perspective I've heard the other perspective where like you can become addicted or your body can only have an orgasm with one and not without one or like your hand is an extension of your heart and like you should use your hand and like I'm not saying that those theories are bad and if people you know like every as you said everyone has their own body and like some people their hand using their hand feels better like it's not to dismiss what anyone likes or doesn't like but I personally think that if you like using a toy like why not use a toy all the time I mean I just would really say like who is gaining from this type of like attacking of toys and let's keep in (laughs) mind that like in our political system like you still can't advertise 
publicly if you are selling vibrators. But you can fucking advertise for Viagra all day, every day. So <laughs> whose pleasure is normalized and whose, like, support for that pleasure is widely available, easily accessible, covered by every insurance? And then whose is shamed, hidden, mocked, derided, um, and, and also, you know, pathologized and stigmatized as somehow, like, unnatural, not real sex, making you unable to orgasm. I mean, there are studies, I don't have them on hand right now, but I know this, this actual subject has been studied and proven that vibrators do not create um, some kind of desensitization that stops you from being able to have pleasure without them. That's a myth. That's not true. <laughs> if anything, um, I feel like they they allow you to have more pleasure. They do. I mean, they yeah. <laughs> 100%, 100% allow you to have more pleasure. <laughs> and I think how each person uses them is up to them. But I think the most important thing is feeling good and feeling comfortable and having fun. If you have a headache, take an Advil. You know, you cannot take an Advil and keep that headache, or you can take an Advil. If you have an infection, you can take antibiotics, or you can just, like, let your body fight. I'm going to take antibiotics. I'm sick. I'm going to get a vaccine um, for for polio. I'm not going to, like, fuck around with that. Um, And if there's some, some kind of moralism and some kind of perfection that like at the end of the day the conclusion um is that like women don't have a right to or should not because it's not as pure and good i mean i just call absolute bullshit on that like we have just as much right to feel good and feel pleasure and everyone should be working to make us feel comfortable because we are the ones who continue society like you're welcome society i never said thank you but like our pleasure should be fucking number one. We do yeah. so much. We give so much. We get paid so little. We take care of everyone when they get old. We get take care of them when they're born. We clean up all the dirty diapers, all the shit. We literally clean the shit, you know, of the babies and the elders. Like, we do it all. Like, we should be having orgasms. And, like, whatever gives you that orgasm, fantastic. And, like, always use lube because lube is awesome. And it just makes everything feel better it's wonderful there's like nothing wrong with it it takes any pressure off of you for kind of like oh i need to get wet enough or you know it's going to feel way better if you're wet but like if you're um not wet yet um then you're not feeling as good no just like always have lube around and just make it feel good all the time there's no reason for it not to feel good like and it's going to just protect you from having like abrasions that give you more chance of getting an infection um it's it's just, I mean, like, no one should ever, like, touch the clit with a dry hand, you know, mm-hmm. or, or put a finger inside a vagina with a dry hand, you know, like, always do wet. Um, so these things are, like, not talked about nearly, or I personally don't hear them talked about enough. I hear all this talk about, like, um, you know, birth control and STDs, but I don't hear about people saying, like, a basic 101 of, like, never go have sex with someone who has a vulva with some dirty fingers, you know, because you were going to give her an infection and like, thanks a lot, you know? And, uh, and, and sadly, like statistically, we know that like so many of these sexual interactions, like, you know, whatever, 50 to 75% women aren't even having orgasms in them. So like, then they have to pick up like a UTI. What a bummer. So we really, I mean, we really have to shift the conversation around. I know. Like, it's so important and it's so true. And I know that like literally everyone listening to this is just going to resonate 
with everything you're saying um, because it's a huge problem. Like it really is. And even for those who aren't talking about it or listening to this, like we're all still feeling it and experiencing it. So right. Yeah, we got to keep having the conversation. So circling back quickly to your artwork, can mm-hmm. you give everyone listening a little more of uh, an idea of like all of the things that you created just because yeah. they're crazy and cool and incredible. So like the clitoris rodeo and the street art and the sculpture, walk us through all of these things. I know it's a lot, yeah, but like just yeah, it's so, so, many, things. It's so um, many things, but just so to just, paint like a mental like picture. Chronologically. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So after I made the hundred laws, um, I was like, I immediately need to start making street art because I didn't want it to just be a conversation in the street. So I started putting up, um, you know, things like just like a list of clit puns. It would be like clit Eastwood, you know, clitty bank, clit Cheney, you know, Brad Clit, just, like, whatever, like, all of these, like, silly, but just, like, clit-centric um, texts um, or, you know, facts about the clit or things that said, just don't tread on my clit. Um, after someone would, like, cross out my graffiti, I would, like, go back there and put, like, a don't tread on my clit. Because um, it's just, like, you think about, like, tyranny of, uh, of you know, by the government and, and who needs to be respected and liberated is, like, the clit. So I was, like, you know, kind of um, appropriating this libertarian slogan for the clit where it was needed. And, um, and the same thing would happen with the street art where people would like stop in their tracks and photograph it and be like, yo, like, Oh my God, blah, blah, blah. So that was also really gratifying. And then with the text being sort of the establishment, um, the establishing framework, then I started working on the form of the clitoris, which, you know, as Helen O'Connell had to kind of confirm this once again, 29 years after we left, you know, walked on the moon, because it still wasn't confirmed in 1998, the form is so unknown. So I, so I made a sculpture, um, which I call Unconquerable. Um, it's a, uh, the Greek word is Adamas. I'm, I'm half Greek, so I wanted to kind of reference something that was really old, um, because this is not some kind of new you know, our bodies aren't new. I mean, and we're talking about the history of, of, of body art and our understanding of the body. This is, you know, as, as long as we've been around. And so I wanted to sort of root it in something much older than this idea of a present moment where suddenly we're talking about sex positivity in this sort of very um, patronizing and superficial way. Um, and I call it unconquerable because so many places the clitoris is attacked either psychologically um, by being insulted or, you know, wiped out of our educational systems, or it's literally attacked, you know, over 200 million girls and women have, have been subjected to female genital mutilation or female genital cutting. So some form of the glands of the clitoris excised or punctured or marked. Um, and then, you know, there's all different severities of it where, um, you know, the labia and the vagina could be sewn and all sorts of versions of of harm to this part of the body. And in the West, uh, labioplasty is uh, the fastest growing area of plastic surgery. So it's not like, oh, only in, you know, certain places in the world are, um, are women thinking that their genitals are not okay as they are and have to be changed and cut and modified and cut off, you know, always removing, right? Always um, kind of cutting down and scraping down to be more and more infantile and like a little girl. 
um, almost more like an anus than a, a actual vulva that could give birth. Um, in the West, people are doing it too, and they're trying to look like um, porn stars or, or or almost like Barbie dolls, where there is almost nothing there. Um, and you know, the sad thing is, like, because we um, we don't see our actual bodies in representation because they are censored. Um, we don't know what they actually look like. So again, like people are trying to adhere to a thing that's a construct and not even true, which is really, really sad. Um, but you know, you can find out very quickly if you try to talk about these things. I'm sure you've experienced that this with your work, like you get censored, you get takedown notices, um, you get, you know, invited to give talks and there's, you know, you're put at the end of the night because it's adult content, quote unquote, or you're given, you know, all these parental advisories, um, which already kind of like re-signals once again, this is not normal life. This is not um, a, a conversation that's appropriate for public discourse. This is shameful. This is embarrassing. This is like excessive, um, inappropriate. So, um, yeah, so I, I made this the sculpture Inconquerable, and it's standing up, and the glands of the clitoris is looking upward, um, standing up tall, face to face um, with with the viewer. So it stands about a little over six feet tall. So like almost to anyone, they're kind of face to face with it, or kind of looking up at it. And I like that juxtaposition as opposed to something that again is like small and in our hands and um, an object that like we look at but doesn't look back at us. Mm -hmm. um so once that sculpture was established and I started you know trying to I always trying to get out into the public space to bring these ideas into common discourse so I made a billboard that's 35 feet long that said democracy without clitoracy fallacy and I um put that in uh, Santa Fe and you know that scale of 35 feet felt fantastic I have to say uh, a lot of people were like what is this and what are you selling and what is, how do I explain this to my child? And I mean, really important questions that need to be asked and need to be thought about. And I love linking this idea of we can't have a democracy when we're teaching half of our population to be ashamed of their body. We're lying about what their body actually is anatomically. And we're telling them that they should only have pleasure through what satisfies the other half of the population. So then I did, um, I mean, the clit rodeo I have to talk about, of course. Uh, I did an artist residency, and I met this awesome um, sculptor from Tennessee, Ken Thomas, who's an amazing artist. And he was making all of these, like, really big, dramatic sculptures. And his work, he was always being crit criticized for being so masculinist. And then my work was always being sort of written off as, like, oh, that's just a bunch of feminist art. You know, that's just act feminist activism that's not really art so we just adored each other and loved each other's work so we we're like let's collaborate um and we decided to do the world's first clit rodeo and as far as i know the first first and only hopefully we'll get to do it again um but we made a rideable clit um and the clit was like the star of the show and you could like sign up you just had to like create a name for yourself a riding name and and you know we had to like in the, basically, there was two rules of the uh, the rodeo: respect the clit and have fun. And already, some people couldn't abide by that because, like, some people's rodeo names were like the the clit destroyer, the pussy vanquisher, and we're like, nah, you can't. You got to come again. Like, come up with another name. But it's like, you know, in some sense, it's like, well, that's how we're taught to think about, 
even attending to um, vulvas, right? Is like you 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 tear that pussy up, you you know, you beat it up, you destroy it, you you know, you turn her back out, you know, all of these kind of violent metaphors. Um, so that was part of it. Then we had three judges: dexterity, style, and generosity, and they would rate you on your performance. And um, and it was amazing. I mean, it was really fun. We had a clit line dance. We and everyone learned the line dance. And and basically, we just like watched as people. Everyone wanted to like basically ride the clit and be near the clit. And you kind of you had to like hold on to the glands. So it was like, you know, kind of giving you the right place of where you need to be. But then people were so creative. I mean, one person um, they blindfolded the clit and they read erotica to it. There was a one one couple where the woman was like eight months pregnant. And she wrote it, and then her husband was, like, the cheerleader in the back, and he was, like, took off his shirt and was, like, waving it around. He was, like, her fangirl. And um, there was um, someone that tried to surf the clit. I mean, so many things. Um, And then I had, like, a heartbreaking moment where someone broke the clit off the spring, and I was, like, so worried that this would happen because I was, like, whatever happens, the clit has to be the star. The clit can't be um destroyed right Mm -hmm. that's like the metaphor that we always hear for like our genitals um but then this amazing feminist artist basically like picked up the clit off the spring and like did this performance in the air and like like took it to the whole next level i mean once it wasn't on the spring it was like freestyle and then the the rodeo continued and then all these other people so it was just like it ended up being like it was like the clit like crashed and burned and then rose from the ashes and and it was great. It was really fun. That's uh, amazing. So that was, yeah, that was that. Um, and then uh, I made a whole show in Neon. So with Neon, I was thinking about this idea of the content of um, our our bodies and, you know, specifically our sexuality and our genitals always being shamed and minimized and constrained and kept small. And so I was using, like, really um, delicate, uh, small pieces of, of neon that I was bending and then creating these texts, but then the texts themselves were just so luminous and they filled up the entire gallery with like so much gorgeous color. And I love this idea of like this thing that is kept small, but it's actually this incredible source of power and illumination. And that, uh, that show is called over and over and over. And it was just about like, until this, the clitoris is known in its truth until our bodies are respected until we have um sovereignty over our bodies i'm going to keep saying this i'm going to keep doing this work because this is this is the only way and this is also this is ancestral work i mean I, even though our our history books don't acknowledge this we know for a fact that women have been fighting um for generations and generations um for sovereignty and rights over our body for the vote to own our own property to have you know the ability to be acknowledged for our own intellectual and creative contributions in the world and not have them credited to you know our husbands or our dads or our brothers etc 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 so trying to link it back to this work that is so that I'm just, you know, one small part of, but it's so much more than me and, um, and will continue after me, you know, but, but understanding that this is not, it's not like you release a project and then it's done. It's like, this is just over and over until we have justice and change. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, I, um, and then there's another project, but I guess the last thing I'll just share about, or I guess two more, but 
second to last, I was invited to uh, Mexico for the opportunity to create an altar um, for the clitoris, which is something that I've been wanting to do for years. And I wanted to basically create this site that um, gives divine reference to this part of our body that is, you know, shamed in religion with this constant focus on virginity. Like, you know, I was raised Greek Orthodox and the most revered woman in Greek Greek Orthodoxy is the Virgin Mary. And she's always, you know, the Virgin first and then secondly Mary. Her virginity is such an important part of what makes her um, sacred. And this idea that, you know, to be a saint as a woman, you have to be a virgin and the best possible woman you could be was, was a virgin mother, which no woman could ever be. So we already fail um, and always will fail. And, and this kind of, um, this construct that we live within and at the same time knowing that so much violence is done to our bodies in this really sacred space. Um, so I really wanted to just like honor our bodies, um, honor survivors, um, and reclaim the divine as part of our bodies. You know, I think um, what has been very successful in terms of um, Western religions and medicine is this idea of like separating the mind from the body and saying like the mind is, you know, elevated and high and honorable and the body is sort of base and primal and has these um, lesser instincts. And, you know, I, I would just say that, no, like the body and the mind are both sacred and both, and, and you can't separate them and nothing that anyone could ever do to your body could take away from, um, it's, it's incredible preciousness and, um, and how we access the divine is through our bodies, you know, is, is through, is through connection with others, through connection with ourselves, um, through music, through dance, through art, through, um, ceremony with our, our community. Um, and that happens through our bodies and that's, that is the channel and, um, not to believe the lie basically that, Mm -hmm. that divides us in this way and tells us our bodies don't matter. Um, so that, that, that was that project. And then the most recent work that I've, I've, um, created is, um, a large installation using, um, silk and printing these um patterns on silk uh i've been using the evil eye which is this uh symbol really common in um greek culture and also um turkish culture all over the middle east and north africa um and the evil eye protects against the malevolent gaze it's also considered protection against um, the violent phallus and i basically cover uh, I make patterns with, with clip form and then cover them with the evil eye um, to, protect, uh, to protect us against um, all sorts of, you know, leveling gazes, especially in our current time. And um, the banners are they're inspired by Japanese war banners, and they um, you can pick them up and march with them. So let me just read you some of the text just to, like, ground this in something that is a little bit less abstract. So... So the texts say, I am the word whose appearance is multiple. I am the voice with countless sounds. I am the one who is disgraced and the great one. I am the utterance of my name. I am the silence never found. And I think that these 
texts are so, to me, they're just so resonant. I can just think about them on so many levels for my own life, for my grandmother's life, for my great-great-great-grandmother's life, um, for all sorts of people that I've met over the course of uh, my time doing this work um, and their stories fitting into this. Um, so, um, It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. I'm going to like link all of this in the show notes so that people can just access everything quickly. And I'm also, if it's okay with you, I'd love to share this work on social media on my Instagram so that people can see all of your artwork because it's so cool and just so powerful and amazing. Um, if you had to give one piece of advice to everyone listening, what would it be? Believe your body. Yeah. And believe that you have a right to feel good. You're not alone. Thank you so much. And what resources do you have to recommend? Oh, yeah. Thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have so much love and admiration for Adrienne Marie Brown. Uh, she's just an incredible thinker, activist, um, writer, human. She also is a doula, um, but she has a book, Pleasure Activism, which I highly recommend um, all of your listeners who are interested to invest in. She also has a book, Emergent Strategy, which is also wonderful. But um, for this conversation, I think Pleasure Activism is really, really helpful. Um, I love Sonia Renee Taylor. She has a book called The Body is Not an Apology. That in and of itself, I could just see that on my arm as a tattoo or like on a billboard or, you know, framed in front of my bed. I mean, I just think it's such a wonderful, profound statement and her work and her thinking um, is incredible. She's a wonderful person to follow also on the gram, I guess both of them. And then I really um, just have so much admiration and respect for Trisha Hersey, who uh, she is the person behind the NAP ministry. And she talks about rest as a form of um, liberation and justice and how um, you know, the diasporic African uh, community has been systematically deprived of their ability to rest and take care of their bodies and how rest is an act of liberation and connecting with your ancestors and, and healing and, and the ability to imagine and imagine new futures and create new, um, new ways of living that, that we want to be in and, and new futures like this only can be possible if we are allowing our bodies to actually rest. And, um, and really she has this incredible critique of, you know, grind culture and how it's rooted in white supremacy capitalism and misogyny um her instagram is fantastic so is her twitter um her work is incredible so i mean those are three people that i i really really admire cool um, thank you a lot from. thank you i'm gonna check them out and um last but not least where can everyone contact you and find your work and everything yeah, um, thank you for asking. So um, Instagram, Sophia Wallace Artist, and I'm trying to do a better job. I mean, I recently had a baby, so I sort of was off the gram for a little while, but I'm, I'm getting back on, so that's a great place. And then my website is sophiawallace.art. 
Um, and then cool. I also sell uh, sell my work at yescliteracy.com. So if you're interested in like a t-shirt that says Bali Gold Clit or a small sculpture or a necklace um, with a damas, like my sculpture, just like a, you know, a, a small fine jewelry um, piece in gold or silver with that sculpture on it, you can find that at my website, which is yescliteracy.com. Amazing. Thank you so, 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 so much for being thank here. Thank you. Oh my this gosh, was what a awesome. pleasure. I could have talked to you all day. Me too. Um, oh my hopefully God. Hopefully we'll continue the conversation. Yes, I would love to because there's more to talk about, but this was very eye-opening to say the least. And I really can't wait for everyone to hear this conversation. So thank you again. This podcast is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare professional services, including the giving of medical advice. During the episodes, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should seek the assistance of their healthcare provider for any concerns or questions they have.